Let's face it, the relationship between effective leadership and your company culture is profound and long-lasting. And definitions of what makes a good leader are very, and frankly, a bit all over the map. In this week's episode of Let's Make Work Human, we talk with Lisa Martin, who believes that at their best, great leaders are also great coaches. Lisa Martin's coaching, training, and consulting solutions help organizations cultivate strong leaders and cultures. She has managed teams, been the youngest and only female partner in a national firm, owned her own companies, and written five books on leadership. Clients like HSBC, PwC, and TELUS have described her as a phenomenal facilitator, a straight-shooting guide, and a no-nonsense coach. She lives by the water in Vancouver, Canada. We loved talking to Lisa, and we were inspired by her practical, down-to-earth approach to making leaders who are good for people. Have a listen. Imagine if work was actually good for people. Not just for a few people, but for everyone in every job. Sadly, work today is often not only not good, but is actually terrible for the human beings who work there. We can do better. On this podcast, my friend and colleague, May Ratz and I, Mo Carrick, with our amazing guests, bring you both the hard questions and the real solutions to reimagining and resetting every workplace from the tiny mom and pop to the mega company to be good for people. When we thrive at work instead of just survive, everyone wins. Let's take a look at what it takes to make work human. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the pod. Mo's here. Lisa's here, everybody. And I'm here. Mo, tell us how you know Lisa. We already heard her bio in the beginning, so don't tell us any of the businessy stuff. Tell us all the other stuff. Awesome. I will. Lisa, so great to have you. Thank you for taking time to be on our podcast. I know your time is really valuable and may always a pleasure to be here with you. So I met Lisa through a professional group that we're both part of called the Incubator with Safi Media. And I was super interested when I first met Lisa through that group, which is basically working with an amazing team of coaches from Safi Media on our businesses, so all women entrepreneurs. And I was really intrigued by the work that Lisa was doing. We had a one-on-one conversation, especially because of the name of her core product, the Coach Like Leader, which really titillated my ears around, wow, what a great term. And we focus a lot, of course, on leaders becoming avid coaches. So that's how we met. And we've had some wonderful exchanges since then. Thank you for having me here today, Mo. I'm excited to to talk to you and continue the conversations that we've been having. We'll just go right out the gate here. So you run a signature program called the Coach Like Leader. So what's the difference between a coach like leader and a regular leader? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's a good question. I think that the primary difference is that when someone is a coach like leader, what I mean by that is it's a leader that adds the spirit of coaching to their own authentic leadership style. And what that means is leaders who are more, they practice empathetic curiosity, and they really ask powerful questions using that, and then listen mindfully to support their people to problem solve. Because the underlying philosophy of coaching is that the answer does reside in the individual, and individuals are whole and creative and can problem solve. And the role of the coach-like leader is to support the building of that self-awareness and an action plan there with their people, with their teams. 
I'm curious because we're very aligned, right? I, we see the same. We sometimes say that good coaching helps a leader help their people use their creativity, discretion, and judgment to solve the problems they face. And I'm curious, Lisa, in your experience, how often are leaders not doing coach-like leading, but instead doing heroic problem solving? In my experience, I would say that they're probably doing the latter 80% of the time yeah. when the opportunity really is to be more coach-like 80% of the time. And we've done the work and done the research. And when we look at opportunities in the workplace to be, there really is it mostly in most cases, 80% of the situations can be solved with a coach, a more coach-like approach. Now, notwithstanding as much as we see and know the value and all the research that supports how coaching supports engagement and performance and results, it's not the only tool in our toolkit, Mo, right? And this is the thing. And what I find is that there's also tends to be a fair bit of confusion out there as to what really is coaching versus mm -hmm. mentoring, versus teaching, versus helping. And that's a big part of what we do in the program is help leaders really discern which tool they are using and to use the right tool at the right time. And I think that's a really important distinction because we see this all the time in our program. People come in going, oh, I thought mentoring and coaching were the same thing. They're absolutely not the same thing. And so they're going in and with great intentions with their people, but they're not using the tool consciously, right? They're not saying this situation calls for me to use mentoring, or this situation calls for me to use teaching, or this situation calls for me to use coaching. And there are times that this situation does call for me to support and help. So I think what's really valuable is for leaders is to really have clarity around what are these tools? And when is the right time? When is the right time to use them? Yes, I love that. And I would agree 100%. And May, I'm sure you see this in your practice too, where people, I think one of the most common misconceptions that happens when people work with a coach, not as a coach like leader, but just like externally with a coach is that they think that coaching is the same as therapy. And in fact, I think they have a lot of a lot of anxiety sometimes about talking with a coach because they're afraid that maybe this is going to explore the family of origin dynamics or whatever. And I think it's often a relief for people to be able to, similar to what you're describing for the coach like leader, but even with coaching with an external person to be able to learn to differentiate and discern, this is different than a therapeutic relationship where I may be working on my mental health, which is equally valuable and we all benefit from therapy as well, but it's really not the same as coaching. So yeah. Beautiful. I have a comment on that too, Mo. And we talk about this in the Coach Like Leader program when we're really helping people understand the difference between all of these modalities. And one mm -hmm. of the things that we bring up right away is not to confuse coaching with counseling. Yeah. Counseling, as you said, is dealing with mental health issues. And I advise the folks in our program, you are not to go into the go into a counseling conversation with anyone unless you're trained to do. And I, as a coach, someone who's been coaching in all kinds of forms for the last 20 years, I got my coaching certification through PCC through ICF in 2003. I can't believe it's been 20 years already. But anyway, so right? it's, yeah, where did that time go? But having now coached thousands of in all kinds of organizations, I'm very clear that is something that that you do not do. And it's something that I'm very clear with clients who I happen to maybe have a one-on-one -on -one coaching, direct one-on-one -on -one coaching relationship, that this is what I do and this is what I don't do. And mm -hmm. I have in many cases referred people to counselors to help them with something that I am absolutely not qualified 
to deal with. And I'm really clear on that, particularly for, for people going through Coach Like Leader, because it's really directed at leaders within organizations who have people responsibilities. And unless you're trained, do not go there. Right. Yeah. So you have all kinds of resources, EAP, et cetera, that you can direct people to so that they can get the right kind of support for those things. Yes, absolutely. It's interesting to hear you say that because here's what just showed up for me. I think a lot of times people think that their leader has to have done their job. So if I'm if I'm a senior leader in engineering, usually I will have been an engineer, maybe, right? But or if I'm a medical director, I have to have been a doctor, right? Which is sometimes the case. Oftentimes that is how our trajectory goes. But we lose sight of that expertise as we get higher up in an organization. And so I think that it creates a lot of tension for leaders at every level around what is my job? Is my job to be able to do your job and tell you how to do your job? Or is my job to be able to help you do your job well, which we can coach someone to do, even if we haven't done that job. But it reminds me of what got me thinking about it was when you were talking about stepping into turbulent water, such as counseling, if I'm not a trained counselor, I don't want to go into a skill set that I don't have to therapeutically help someone heal from trauma or whatever. If that's not my skill, that would be unwise. And the same would be true if I'm if I have an employee who does something in their day to day job that I actually either don't know how to do or didn't ever do. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I can't coach them and lead them really well. I can. But I don't have to have that yeah. hand on. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because you're also talking and comparing two very different things there. And 100%. And this we often talk about is I get this question all the time, particularly when you've got millennial leaders who might be leading Gen X, right? And they're saying, how do I do that when they've been in working longer than I have, or they might have experience that I don't have? And the answer is that your role, as you said, quite eloquently, Mo, is to help them do their job to the best of their ability. And that's how the coaching can support that by helping that individual access their own smarts and build their own self-awareness and tap into their own tools. And then being able to, as a coach, offer continued guidance down down that path. For sure. I've heard of this term that it's just being in co-consciousness with someone and seeing what happens. I feel a lot of pressure sometimes to, to have the answers And anytime I've gotten trapped in that trap, the session is so much work and I never feel good at the end because I feel like I've just big sistered that person from a place where I had no no business being. And I know that immediately. I know that yucky feeling. Not that it's all about me as the coach, but I can sense when I'm like, oh, I did a good job because I that none of the answers came out of my mouth. (laughs) They all came out of their mouths and I was just co-conscious with them. But it's, yeah, it's That's a hard. Great litmus test. That. That's a great litmus test. <laughs> <laughs> it is because it's also about who's doing the work, which I think is one of the things that's such a powerful litmus test as well is, and this is why I think leaders so often get burned out because they're not mm-hmm. acting like like leaders. They're acting like problem solvers. They're trying to maybe also be mentors. They're trying to fix and move things ahead. And so they end up exhausted yeah. because they're, everybody they're doing a little bit of everybody's job and possibly also neglecting the job that is actually only theirs to do so I think that's a good litmus test I would agree with what you said Lisa about what you're saying May is like how do we know that we're doing a good job when we're coaching another is we're not exhausted 
Exactly. And I often say too, and see that if when leaders become more proficient at being coach-like, their lives are easier and their teams are happier. To me, that is one of the ways to really show, because as you said, you get out of doing other people's work, whatever your motivation for that might be, it can be what we find that there's two real archetypes that go through our program. So there's the more senior Gen X leader, who's coming from that was brought up as I was actually as a a young leader to more a command and control style of leadership. So the newly minted leader, who's more of a uh, millennial demographic, who just hasn't has the best of intention, but hasn't been given the skill set to do the job well. And when they're able to learn some of these skills around being more, it just changes the way they show up every day with their people. And some of these results you've been talking about is what is what happens that the leaders themselves are able to let go, uh, to be able to trust more in their ability to connect better with their people. Their people feel heard, valued and respected and are able to actually do some of the things that intrinsically motivate them. And it all comes from having those coach-like conversations where the leader really comes out of conversation with curiosity and empathy to really understand where that coachee or team player is at, and then to be able to support them to come up with an action plan. So a big part about what we talk about in the coach-like leader is is being able to look at a very simple a very simple framework called the coaching formula which is a very simple way an effective way of describing coaching as it's a combination of powerful questions and mindful listening that leads to results and you need to have all three of those happening for it to actually be an effective coaching conversation. And one of the places I think where people can fall off, in my experience and the folks that have gone through our program, is that they might uh, think that they've had a coaching conversation because they've asked powerful questions and they've listened mindfully, but there hasn't been any result. There's been no action item that has Mm -hmm. come out of the conversation. So if there's no action item or result, then you may have had a lovely conversation and that's fantastic. But it isn't a real coaching conversation because there's not action and movement forward. Lisa, why do you think why do you think people choose not to be a coach like leader in the moment of fire? Uh, like when they have a moment where they could choose which path, they choose the the mm. one that feels most comfortable, which mm. it sounds like is not the coach. I think that's a great question. And we I actually asked people the same one, May. So I'll share their answers with you rather than my own. <laughs> their answer is often, it's the first response to that question is often, I haven't got time, right? There's this misconception that coaching's got to be this sit down, one hour, long conversation, feels like a performance conversation, which people feel that they don't have the time for. But what we teach people is that coaching conversations, effective conversations around daily workplace challenges, and this is where we're really focused at with Coach Like Leader, is about having those conversations that are 10 minutes or less. Because you can get great results in a 10-minute conversation versus not having that conversation because the output of not having that conversation is far more, how would you describe it? More time consuming, you go down the wrong path. There's so many negatives to the not, to the not having it. But that's the, that's their answer, May, is first time. And then mm-hmm. the second would be lack of confidence in their own skill set to do it. Mm-hmm. So those would be the two that I hear. Yeah. The first yep. one is so interesting because we hear it 
similarly sometimes we sit in our program and Mo gets these questions, which are so earnest and wonderful, and I love them, but it's mostly, okay, cool, great. I see that I'm supposed to connect emotionally with these people. That's so great. This is so awesome. I can't wait to be vulnerable with them. This is so great. When? And Mo's like, down. <laughs> and they're like, no, thank really? you. Yeah, I don't know. Like, which quarter? And Mo's like, today. And they don't ever really like that answer because yeah. they're like, but I don't have one scheduled and I haven't decided what I'm going to be vulnerable, vulnerable about like courageous in this conversation. And it's like, whether it's already gotten too far down the road and I like have to sit, it's a a good practice for me to just sit on my hands and make my face go steady because I'm like, (laughs) here it goes. We're going down the road right now. But it's interesting because there's that the first one made me think that when I was first, when I first had my baby, I don't know, we were talking about something about time management or something, Mm -hmm. a friend of mine. And she was saying that a way that she's got herself back into the tracks of what she wants to spend time on is that whenever she feels herself say, I don't have time for that, that she reframes to saying, that's not a priority for me. And whenever you can say, are you going to look at your kid and say, you're not a priority for me right now? If that Mm -hmm. is actually true, then great. But like it reframed for me, like what is a priority for me? And what am I just saying? Like, I don't have time for that. What am I actually saying? Which is interesting in this framework because it's okay. I can connect with you for 10 minutes. And is that actually a priority for me? Yes, of course, that's a priority for me. Like I can do 10 minutes of that because it's painful on the way down to pay the consequences of what that doesn't mean. And if it isn't a priority for you, how interesting is that? Oh, yeah. Another thing. Yeah. Yeah. If being with your people and supporting your people isn't a priority for you, I'm on my soapbox now. Can you tell by my tone? Isn't a pri isn't a priority for you as a people leader? Get the fuck out of the job because you're there. I feel very strongly about that because you're not in the right place then. If you're not in the you're not in the right place, you can go be a subject matter expert somewhere. And there's and that's a very rewarding and amazing career path. Just put yourself in the right put yourself in the right place. Oh my God, we heard it. We heard it from Lisa Martin. Get the fuck out of the job. <laughs> right? Guess what I love about that too, and May, I loved your example as well around what your friend, who's also a parent, said. It and I was thinking as you two were talking about this idea of it's all about when do we pay or when do we invest. Mm-hmm. We tend to tell ourselves the story that the investment can come later, mm-hmm. but the problem is that the cleanup comes later, and cleanup is always more expensive. And I have a friend who's a physician, and she was telling me recently we were on a walk, and she was telling me about the majority of her patients, and the majority of her patients have not taken care of their bodies for years, mm. for years. They have not exercised. They've smoked. They've eaten too much sugar. And now the cost of repair is so expensive. She's, these people have multiple issues that are not actually ever going to be recoverable from fully, although we can certainly help them maybe live a little bit of a higher quality of life. And you know what she's always saying is, like, hey, now, Go mm-hmm. force yourself, Mo. This is what she was saying. Like, force <laughs> Who are you talking to? <laughs> no, do the thing because then, because I was complaining about age and mm. the consequence of age. I was like, my knee really hurts and I'm going on a cycling trip. And she's like, yeah, so what? Just because your knee hurts, it's just arthritis. Get out there. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to pay a lot more later. And it's the same for me with our people. Like we can take that 10 minutes or that five minutes and have a corrective conversation, a helpful feedback conversation. 
So that then went on to do expensive and emotionally often very challenging cleanup down the line, you know, where I now have maybe two people that have had an altercation that hasn't gone well. Somebody's on the verge of quitting. Somebody's really messed up a project so that the expenses are high. Now my boss is breathing down my neck. What are you going to do about this problem person? It's like, I had talked to that problem person about the problem and given them some coaching to try to remediate way back six months ago, two years ago, I wouldn't be paying now in this extremely expensive manner. So I love it. I love it. You heard it, people, from Lisa. <laughs> 100%. 100%. A lot of the leaders don't get, they don't get into being people leaders because that is what they chose, exactly. which I loved about what you said as well. That's just the only path that they've been offered for promotion and increased wage, which yeah. is why I love companies who are now saying like, there can be a subject matter expert track. There can be a technical track that, because if the only way I can rise in authority and responsibility and pay in my organization is to be a people leader, I'm probably going to say yes, even if I'm not actually interested in leading mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And then I'm set up. Mm -hmm. Then I'm set up. I want to be a subject matter expert or a technician, but I'm responsible for leading people. And so I don't actually really have the skill or the interest in making yeah. them a priority. And that's, I hate seeing that. And I feel like I see it. I do too. I do. And I think it's, I think it's, the way to go as an organization in the future to really from a retention and engagement perspective, right? Like putting people into things that they, I've putting people into isn't the right expression, but enabling an opportunity for people to do what they're best at and what lights mm -hmm. them up. And that just helps from all perspectives and ends up ultimately showing up in the results for the organization. And it's the thing that I guess I find interesting about all that, Mo, is that it's, in my mind, it's not rocket science to look at operating your business like that. And it's not overly difficult, but there is resistance to changing the way we've always done it to, and internally within the individuals and within an organization too, depending on the culture of the organization, they can get into this mindset. That is the only way for them, yeah. right? Yeah. Whether that's enjoyable for them or not. And then over time, they start losing connection to what is the joy. It just, it's like the boiling frog syndrome, it just happens so slowly over time. But I think one of the things that I wanted to mention just on, on that too, is that the time factor for coaching and that idea of 10 minutes, 10 minutes or less. And what you said that the investment time versus the cleanup time as, as an ROI on that. The other thing though, I think too, is to what May was saying about your calendar reflects your priorities. You can say your priorities are one thing, but if you really want to see what your priorities are, go take a look at your calendar because it'll tell you. And if you're a people leader and you don't have any meetings booked with your people in terms of connection time, then they're obviously not a, a big priority. And one of the things that we do in the program when we're talking about your approach or mindset, taking on the mindset of being more coach-like. OMG. Isn't it inspiring to think about how a coach-like leader can actually transform the results of people at work and entire teams and organizations? One side benefit of leaders being coach-like that occurred to me listening to Lisa is that it makes them less likely to have to heroically solve all of the problems at work. If you're finding yourself thinking about leadership and team health at work, it might be time to get weekly gold in your inbox by signing up for our Show Up newsletter. Just go to newsletter.leadwithmo.com and get all of the inspiration and tools and techniques that you need to grow your leadership impact. Now, back to the show. 
a big part of that is, is looking at the opportunity to be what we call an everyday coach. So looking for those coaching moments every day. How they, you do when you've got kids, they say, oh, look for a teachable moment. That's a teachable moment. Look for a teachable moment. It's the idea of looking for a coachable moment or a coaching moment. What's a coaching mm-hmm. moment? I just had this, I just saw this happen or this, I'm having this conversation with somebody. Is this a coachable moment? Yes, it is. So let's start at, let's go into coaching mode, right? And see how we can help this person solve whatever it is that's the challenge for them at that time. Or mm-hmm. alternatively, if it's, if I look at, I look at coaching every day from three perspectives, you've got um, check-ins. So that's relational, right? Just checking in, being relational, being coaching, use your coaching skills and being relational. The other is challenges. That's everyday performance challenges, right? Looking at how you can help support a person to resolve those everyday challenges and then cultivate. So cultivate is that bigger picture, longer term. How are we supporting you to get where you want to go with your career, right? How am I as a leader helping you get to where you want to go, right? So you can do that and you can use coaching moments for any three of those C's, those three C's of coaching. Love it. Back to this, like putting, helping people get the opportunity or placing them in the place that they're going to feel joy and like actually thrive. It's really interesting because I was talking to a friend about how to read a job description and that they're actually very coded. Because I think right now it's like they're all the things all at once. Like you have to be really relational. You got to be good with people. You got to be able to be on a team. Also, you got to be able to be independent because it's remote. There's all these things in there. So I think a good episode would be like decoding what all of those things mean so that you can help yourself get onto a track like that. When someone says, are you a good people leader? And you're like, yes. And you are really not. Maybe you just don't know that. Anyway, I'll just say. I love that idea. But I think that you both have said something that I want to pull on as a little bit of a thread because you the words that you were using, Lisa, is are people in joy? Are they in joy? And May, you're talking about I love that idea of let's decode job descriptions. And I think that there's a tendency to sometimes think that being in joy in our job means that we're just pursuing our passion. And for me, that's not true. And you've heard me say this, May, right? If I pursued my passion, I would be like an elephant whisperer taco eater writer fiction reader probably not even (laughs) right and that's what I would be like if I could just pursue and maybe a horse a western horse wrangler like I would that's what I would do if I pursued my passions thankfully I haven't done that because I don't think there's much money in those particular fields especially all in one person (laughs) that just created all image for me yeah but I do have joy at work And I think that it's like, if I can, if we can help people through coaching and also through the way we lead people to find the joy that's available in their work for them and to be able to be more rigorously honest with themselves and with their system about where their biggest chances for winning are. And and I know organizations cannot design themselves around people. I know that I know that's true. We don't recommend organizations do that, but at the same token, we can help people find a place with us that brings them more joy potentially, or if not, we can emancipate them and support them while they go and find Mm -hmm. the place that's happening for. And I just think it's such an important point. What you both said around work should actually on most days be pleasurable, hard work, but it shouldn't be horrible Mm -hmm. because then it's demoralizing and we don't enjoy it and we aren't finding pleasure. And so we're just marking time, which we've all had jobs where we mark time and it feels horrible. 
So there's my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, and it, it does feel horrible. And also, it's the impact of that, right? For the impact on the individual, then how the individual impacts the team, how the how that impacts the leader and how they're feeling about their ability to lead effectively. There's a real snowball effect in what you're in what you're saying. Totally. And I was talking with some friends over the weekend because the snowball effect is significant, right? In terms of our well-being, which mm-hmm. someone like Jeffrey Pfeffer, who wrote Dying for Paycheck, has cataloged around our physical consequences and the mental health consequences. We need look no further than our current Surgeon General's research and report that mental health and well-being at work to say, yeah, we incur a terrible toll. We're not thriving at work. Our families also are impacted by that because we are not thriving. We're not happy. We're not well. We may be more prone to anger at home. We may be not present at home. We may be overworking or underworking. And that impacts our communities, our ability to contribute to our communities, whether it's through volunteering or supporting or have, knowing our neighbors or whatever, which of course impacts our towns and overall impacts the whole world. And the, the consequences are huge. Our organizations don't make the kind of money they need or meet their mission if we're not all firing in all cylinders, because we've got a lot of important work to do. So the consequences are very dire. And what we were talking about with this friend of mine is the fact that they were asking about because they just place an older parent into assisted living. And they were saying, oh, this assisted living unit is just filled with older women. And we know that men predecease women usually in death. And some of the data I've been looking at lately is that that there are some folks who really are connecting the dots to that fact, to the fact that men have been the primary wage earners for centuries and have incurred more work-related epigenetic stressful illness. Yes. Then women, I'm like, okay, so people, the answer to this is not that women work like that for the next few centuries. So that, <laughs> no, that's not the answer. Exactly. Yeah. So the weakness, let's assimilate to that culture so that we also can die young. Thank you. In a different way where work doesn't become unhealthy for them. Yeah. I think that this is a big part of what drives my mission. Because we know from the statistics, I know anecdotally from the work that we've done in this regard, and the same with the work that you're doing, Mo, when you introduce more coach-like behavior into an organization, it changes the culture. So it really can start with one person to the next person. Remember that old Fabergé hair commercial? You told two friends and so on and so on. The momentum, (laughs) you know, they probably doesn't, but you and I do. So the momentum of moving, of the impact from one person to the next and the exp- exponential impact that, that that can have. And we see that with Coach Like Leader because people just start mm-hmm. showing up differently. And when you show up in the way that we've been discussing, you really helping others to grow and succeed. That factors into the into that joy factor or pleasure factor that that we were talking about, which ultimately turns around and has more positive more positive financial results at the end of the day. But I do believe that there's a lot of work still to be done, right? We're just at the beginning of changing that. And so this idea of why I'm so passionate about coach like leader is because of what it can do for creating workplaces where people thrive. And I know that's a big part of a big part of a big part of your mission. And I think that's why we connected and are so because we're so aligned around around the value of being able to impact people and organizations in that way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love yes and double yes. And by the way, to our listeners, Lisa Martin is probably 
the most frequent first commenter on all of our LinkedIn posts, (laughs) (laughs) which I love so much, but it's about that alignment and about being able to say, yeah, there's a bigger picture here. So thank you for sharing with us some of that mission. I want to hear, Lisa, what what trends you're worried about. In the workplace? Yeah, I guess I could have added a... Yeah. That's okay. I just want to make sure I'm answering the right question. I think my brain is just a little... Um, oh, yeah. Blast, blast from the past. So when I watched a lot of TV when I was a kid, <laughs> and I remembered a lot of commercials. And in fact, my, my very first career was in advertising and NPR. And so then I changed. So I still have... I can still sing the jingles from commercials from 20 or 30 years ago. They're just stuck in my head. Hence my reference to the Fabergé commercial. <laughs> I love it. I love it's it. Quite, quite enticing. I didn't watch it yet, but I just saw the thumbnail and I will tell you, no wonder. It totally works. <laughs> what am I worried about in terms of trends in the workplace? That's a really good question. I think that that I think where some of the challenges in the workplace is around hybrid work is not going away. And I think that this is one of the challenges that CEOs are really grappling with is how am I going to manage in our organization, a hybrid culture. And we're mm-hmm. seeing all kinds of different responses from different CEOs in different organizations about how they're dealing with that. Some with edicts that you've got you to come in and stay, doesn't matter what, or you've got to be in this geographical distance from the office and you've got to come in and stay. And others going to the complete other end of the spectrum, which is, you know what, work as home, work at home as much as you, as much as you can. And I think we're very much in the early days of trying to figure out how to build that organization that has that thriving culture in a hybrid mm. environment. And this is what I hear from, I don't know, Mo, if you're hearing this too, but this is what I hear from CEOs, a quite a important topic that is still not, is still in experimental stages, I would say, in resolution or how to resolve or work through that. Yeah, it, it is. And I'm very intrigued by it too. I would agree. And one of the things that I'm the most intrigued about, and I this is where I wish I was a neuroscientist, but I think it's too late for me to start that career. <laughs> I'm interested in that because I do believe that the remote work, the biggest opportunity I think with the remote work is that it is so much harder to build real connection because of our limbic brain response and emotional intelligence. We yeah. can come pretty close on video and on phone to feeling each other, but it's really different than we're in person. Clients say that all the time. They get together with us in an event. They're like, this is just so different. And they don't even know why they're like, it's below consciousness. And I'm like, I know why it's because of limit brain responses. So I'm really interested. And I'm trying to reach a woman by the name of Alex Generous, who I met at a TED talk in 2015, who is somebody who's on the autism spectrum, who was researching pheromone-based keypads, a Mm. keypad sensor that would allow you to convey more depth of emotional emotional state virtually. Mm-hmm. And she was doing it for the sake of people like her who are neurodivergent to be able to better translate what's going on inside someone emotionally, which is a bit wow. harder for, for people like her to do. But I'm feeling like this could be a technology that we all could benefit from mm-hmm. around we can create connections. So it's there, it's it's a big, it's a big issue and one that we're all gonna have to tackle. Yeah, I agree with you. I had an interaction with a CEO a couple months ago where I was asking him about who he's hiring and what's going on. They're having some major growth in their business. And he listed all these positions. And I said, oh, great. Are are they all remote or what? We live in a 7,000 person town in the middle of Wyoming. Okay. So I thought I like <laughs> were throwing a softball. Y'all, I wasn't. 
He was feeling very proud that every everybody was going to be in office. He was only hiring for in office. Mm-hmm. And my brain shut down. I am pretty good at carrying conversation. And I just went like this. Yeah. Because I just couldn't figure out what to say about that because it felt like it was the next level of one-upping was like, no, everybody's in the office with me. And I was like, yo, dude, it hasn't been that long since we were all in the office with you. (laughs) It's not time yet to one-up that. No one's forgotten that trend yet. Like we aren't, we're not there yet. Too soon. I'm watching the swing even from that experience of, oh no, like it's not, somebody got a whiff of it's not working or do remote. And so the answer is just to swing back to what we were doing before because it was working. And it's like, it wasn't working. (laughs) That's the point. It wasn't working, which is how we got to this place. And I think that's in terms of like training as an elite athlete or anything like just because that one thing isn't working doesn't mean the whole thing's not working. It just means we might not have figured it out yet. Or let's try another thing, but let's head in the direction of it instead of swinging back to being like, no, no, we tried that. Too bad. And I've seen leaders do the same thing. And I think part of that is like the enormous denial about what wasn't working, even ranging from logistical issues. Like I've got a few clients who have open space offices where you talk to those employees. They're like, I hate it. I have to wear headphones. I can hear everybody's conversation. I have no privacy. I have no time to think. Or the flexibility needs that people have as caregivers, horrible commutes that people were doing that really made their motivation and engagement with work far far lower. And so how can we, how can we now be denying the mountain of evidence that says that there's some really good things about remote work that help people thrive at work just because of the challenges embedded in not being in the same place, same time. And there's, we've just got to be a lot more nuanced. This, the solutions here are not going to be solved by bludgeons. They're going to be solved by scalpels. Tweak this and we're going to tweak this and we're going to make this work. So thank you for sharing that. It's, it can't be binary. Yeah, it's, it is very interesting because I was thinking about the Gen Zer who just took a job where some things are awesome, mm-hmm. right? Like they love the schedule. They love working remotely. They hate, freaking hate the job, right? Or rather. So then they go out to look for another job and it's so much more nuanced what that person is now looking for because what yeah. they're looking for, it has the pieces that they loved, which were so specific to that job. And I think that's part of it too, is like, how do you make your job look very enticing to the people that are looking from a place that had a couple things that were awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Four day work week or something like that. Like it's going to get also tricky in trying to find talent. Oh yeah. If you're just going to do it with a bludgeon, what, like no one's looking for that. It already is really. Yeah. I just saw a LinkedIn post recently. I might've been last week. Where a person had, and it was, it went viral because the person had said, my workplace is demanding that I go back to the office full time. Mm. And they're and basically saying which, that if you don't, you're probably not going to have a job, which that's a whole other legal issue there. Mm. But besides that, what, what happened was it was really interesting to just see some of the comments that came through that post. And, you know, his reason, what he said, the, the person that made the post said, I've chosen not to continue working there. And the reason mm-hmm. I've chosen to not continue working there is the commute takes me at least at, on a good day, takes me one hour there and one hour back. And I have other things in my life where I want to be spending that time. And we've already, and now that they've experienced and he's experienced that, he doesn't want to give that up. 
And so the comments that, you know, came through, so I was having a good little read, was very interesting. The majority of the comments were, yay, dude, good for you. There, you'll find another job that's better, et cetera, et cetera, that fits with your needs to another set of comments, a trend and comments being, that's hardly any kind of a commute. Suck it up, buttercup, and do your work. So it was really interesting to me as just to just see those comments. So I think too, that's a great exploration or example of the differences in mindset. Like we were talking, we started this conversation talking about having a coach-like mindset. So to me, this is also an example of having a mindset around how can we work better in a hybrid environment? Like just asking that question before just like shutting it out and saying, oh, this is the way we always did it to your point. And we're in denial that it sucked. So what are we going to do about it? So I think it's really interesting the mindset around how do we make it better. I got two more questions. The first one is, do you think that a coach like Leader needs to have a coach? Ooh, I've never been asked that one before. Surprises me. <laughs> well, I've been asked, I've been asked, do you think everybody needs a coach? But I've never been asked, do I think specifically would a coach like Leader need a coach? Mm-hmm. My opinion on, on that is I think that depending on where you are in your leadership and what you might be wanting to drive to or what might be challenging for you, having the support of an external coach can be very valuable. And I do believe in the value of that. I also believe that organizationally, that you're going to get a better return on your investment if you take that money. So one of the things that inspired me to create Coach Like Leader was doing a lot of one-on-one work in organizations over the years. You can see the impact of coaching. And it can be very significant on that one individual. And depending on where that one individual is in the organization, it can have a bit of a ripple effect. However, if you take that same investment and you support your internal people to use fundamental coaching skills, you will see a much bigger impact in terms of culture. And so that was one of the reasons that we even created Coach Like Leader is I wanted to see that bigger impact because sometimes that investment an organization would take or make for me to come in and work with one leader could end up being a minimal impact over a long period of time versus the impact and investment in turning 10 of your people leaders to to practice coaching skills. Lisa, are you saying, just to be clear, that the more people you can train to be good people leaders at one time, the better? Exactly. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Two mic drops here with Lisa Martin. (laughs) But it's so true in terms of exponential lift, but it's so powerful to hear you say it that clearly, because I think I find myself noticing and wondering like, what is it that goes on in the minds of people who are looking at where to invest mm-hmm. that they cannot understand the simple math mm-hmm. of impact. And so I love how beautifully you said it. It's something we talk about a lot as well. Mm. And it also, and that doesn't even go to say what we, I think what all three of us know is true, which is that we know our entire employment situation largely through our relationship with our immediate people leader. Mm -hmm. So that has a disproportionate impact how well that person is doing in cultivating my capacity as as an employee. So that's another issue, but it's tightly related. So yeah, great response. Great question, May. I also love that the, these are my words, not yours, that start sooner. Let's not just train the CEO. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't sound like what Lisa's prescribing here. Like one person at a time, especially the one at the top might not be the fastest way to change your work. I don't know. I'm just saying I'm new here. Yeah. And may, you may not know this, but Lisa and I sure do. The majority by and large, the biggest majority of investment in leadership development is at the very top. (sighs) So the leaders and the next level down is not getting as much exposure to the tools that Lisa's delivering and that we're delivering because the investment is very high at the top and it just doesn't filter down without tools like what Lisa's offering. So powerful underlining of what you're saying. Lisa offers tools and programs, but Lisa, will you tell us how best our people can support you? Will you be specific? Will I be specific? Yes, I will. So the best way that people can support me is actually to take our mini course on coach-like leadership. That's the best way they can support me because they can learn from that and they can start bringing this, these tools into their organization. And that's where we'll see impact. So I can give you the link for that if that would be helpful to me. It will be in the show notes. So it yes, I would love notes. the link, but it'll be okay. in the show notes. Okay. So you want them to follow you? Oh, yeah, sure. They can do. Yeah, that would be great. You can follow me on LinkedIn. That's the best place to go. That's the only social media channel that I am on. And you can find me that Lisa Martin in LinkedIn. Yeah, great. I post there a lot. And there's lots of good information that we share there too. Lisa, thank you. Mo, thank you for your time. Oh my gosh, so great. Such a good conversation to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. hope that you enjoyed this episode with Lisa Martin. I know I got at least three tips for how I can lead my team in a more coach-like way. Now it's time for you to pay it forward. As a self-funded podcast with Let's Make Work Human, we don't have endless resources to market the podcast to share its goodness with more people. It really helps us get the message out about the podcast and to get it into the hands of people like you who can benefit from it. If you share the pod in your network, leave a review wherever you listen and like or download your favorite episodes. If you could do that today, we would be so grateful. Thank you for listening, for commenting, and for sharing. It means a lot to us.